0: and to know us and to fulfill your plans through us. Ask Jesus for your guidance. Teach us your word by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, amen. Hey, I want to dismiss the kids for Children's Church. They can head downstairs while they're making their way downstairs, if you have a cell phone or a tablet or some other electronic device, could you please silence that? All the way silent. And if someone calls during church, unless it's Jesus, do not answer. All right? Okay. Okay. Hey, am I the only person that... Has their kids stay home all summer during summer break? I know I'm not. Yeah, I know May's kids. They come to work with her sometimes. Um, My kids stay home all summer because it's, you know, summer break. And so uh, we have three kids, but one of them can't walk uh, because he's six months old. So my tradition or my routine is in the morning, I get up in the morning, uh, you know, I take a shower, I go downstairs and make a cup of coffee. I get breakfast and uh, I take it all downstairs into my basement. I have a finished basement. That's that's like the main reason I bought that house. It has a finished basement. We only have one room in the whole house with carpet. It's the basement. I don't know why that would be the case, but so the basement is it's like my place. It's my office. I go down there. I got a couch with a nice rustic table. I got a big like oversized uh, big uh, lazy boy. Uh, recliner. I got a big, you know, wooden desk and a chair in front of it, and I love to go down in the morning with my coffee and my turkey bacon (laughs) and eggs, and I love to drink coffee, pray, and read the Bible. And I get down there, I got my little, like, uh, uh, essential oil diffuser. It makes it smell like a pine forest, and I got the wood. I got my uh, library, and I love, that is my favorite time of the day, going downstairs in the morning with a cup of coffee and the Bible and praying and reading the Bible. But, when my kids are home in the summer, they run right above me. Like, my basement ceiling is only seven feet high, uh, so their feet are smacking on the ground less than 24 inches from my head, you know? And uh, there there are mornings where I'll be, reading the Bible. I'm very spiritual. I got my coffee. I'm praying, serene, calm, you know, and then all of a sudden I hear what sounds like a Tyrannosaurus Rex running through my house when shrieking and all this noise. And I'm like, what is going on up there? And sometimes it, I mean, a lot of times it's just for a moment and then it calms down. But when it's prolonged, when it goes a little too loud and a little too long, I have to text my wife and say, what is going on upstairs? Sometimes, if she doesn't answer my texts, I have to actually yell up through the vent in the ceiling, what are you doing up there? Is everyone okay? Uh, because these kids, you know, like uh, Aiden is going to take something over someday. I can only hope he does it in the name of Jesus, but this kid is gonna rule something someday. So. Uh, and Emma will pick Aiden up over her head and just body slam him. Just, just kidding, Debbie. No, no, that doesn't really happen. But from my perspective, I'm just down in the basement enjoying some peace and quiet, trying to connect with Jesus. From my perspective, it sounds like World War III upstairs. But they're just having fun. And they are giving very little thought to what's going on in the basement. So, so again, I will always ask that question. What is going on up there? And I have found that that actually sometimes is a good prayer to pray. When you're going through a situation in your life that is really challenging and it feels a little chaotic, you just want to be like, God, what's going on up there? Like, because my perspective down here is, it's kind of crazy. And you know, the Bible uh, paints this picture for us that there is an earthly perspective to God's activity but there is also a heavenly perspective to God's activity in fact in a, in the book of ephesians it talks about how we are seated with Christ in heavenly places which means we can actually see the heavenly perspective and the earthly perspective but so so the question is what's going on up there i wonder that sometimes when i'm going through stuff in my life whether it be good things or bad things what do you what's going on in heaven right now lord like what's going on so The Bible actually paints uh, this picture a couple times, and I don't think we see it anywhere more clearly than when you compare the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with the book of Revelation. Because the Gospels give us a very good picture of what's going on down here on earth, but the book of Revelation gives us a really good picture of what's going on up there on the top floor upstairs, if you know what I'm saying, right? And sometimes, What's going on up there and what's going on down here? You wonder how to reconcile those two things. So I want to give you just an example. This is not what I'm preaching on today, but just an example. Think about Christmas, okay? Think about biblical Christmas, okay? Put Santa Claus aside for a moment and uh, elves and all that stuff. Think about biblical Christmas. We come on Christmas Eve. It's kind of this serene, peaceful, somber time where we Oh, come all ye faithful. You decorate your house with things that talk about joy, right? And that's biblical. I mean, Luke chapter two, these angels show up to the shepherds and they say, uh, don't be afraid. We bring you tidings of great joy. It's just kind of this peaceful, warm, sentimental story, right? We think of a little baby that's born in a manger and they bring him gifts and it's a beautiful, peaceful story. Serene scene in the Gospels, but in the Book of Revelation, it's not so peaceful and serene. If you read uh, the account of the incarnation of Jesus or the birth of Jesus in Revelation chapter twelve, I'm going to read it for you really quickly. I want you to we know the earthly perspective: little baby born in a manger, uh, meek and mild, right? If you read the Book of Revelation. He's not meek and mild, he's freaking wild. All right? Revelation chapter 12, describing the incarnation of Jesus, it says this A great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, and she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. So that woman here, represents all of Israel, and then the representative of Israel that gave birth to Jesus is Mary. You guys know that? Got that? Okay. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven crowns. His tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child." Did you know that there's a dragon in the Christmas story? This this dragon, representing Satan, is actually waiting for the woman to give birth so that he might eat up this child. So who is the child? Keep reading. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Remember that, rod of iron. Just put that in the back of your head. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God this Christmas story from the heavenly perspective has a red dragon waiting to eat the newborn child of this woman put that on your Christmas card in fact I did this is our Christmas card this year you'll be getting it just kidding this is not our real Christmas card some of you are taking this a little too seriously right now okay (laughs) I'm just trying to show you that the perspective from a heavenly perspective is very different from the earthly perspective, okay? Uh, And the Christmas story in the Bible, when you compare the Gospels with the book of Revelation, it's like what's going on on earth is very different from what's going on in heaven, but they're actually the same thing, okay? So this morning, rather than talking about the first coming of Jesus, the incarnation in Christmas, I actually want to talk to you about the second coming of Jesus, We are in this series called We Believe, where we're talking about what our core beliefs are as a church. And one of our core central beliefs is that we do believe that Jesus is returning. Okay? Uh, This is not a metaphor, this is real. He's really returning. Now, there are metaphors surrounding it. You know, like, I don't think, I don't expect to really see a red dragon. Okay, I think that's a metaphor, but the idea that he's returning is in so many different New Testament texts and Old Testament texts that transcend so many different genres of literature. I have to, I have to take it as like this is actually happening. Okay, I mean it's in Acts, it's in Second Thessalonians, it's in Revelation, it's in the Old Testament. I mean it's in, it's in Matthew, it's in Luke. I mean it's in so many different places that I have to think this is really going to happen. Um, some of, some of the details. We might get some poetic images that are metaphorical, but it's going to happen. It's, it's coming. So uh, we're going to look at the earthly perspective from Matthew 24. That's how it's going to be down here. And we're also going to look at the heavenly perspective from Revelation 19 and just get both views of the same event. Everybody got that? Okay. So Matthew 24, uh, this is a really, Actually, if you read Matthew 24 and 25, it's a lot of information about the days preceding the return of Jesus. Okay, Jesus is walking around with the disciples in Jerusalem. They take a look at the temple. They see the temple, which is this big, beautiful building. And they're impressed at the architecture of the building. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, at the end of days, there will not be one stone of this building left on top of the other. It will be leveled. It will be decimated. And they begin to ask, well, what what are going to be the signs of your return, Jesus? And Jesus goes into a really long teaching, but we're not going to look at all of it. We're just going to do about three slides of what Jesus said. But Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Okay, let me just stop and hit this phrase, birth pangs. Um, Jesus compares the signs preceding his return to a woman giving birth. Okay, people throughout church history have read this passage and they thought this is us. This is right now. There's wars and rumors of wars, and there's uh, natural disasters, and all this stuff is going on. And Jesus is coming, and things have gotten really bad, and then things have kind of pulled back, and Jesus didn't return, right? I mean, generations for two thousand years have said it's soon, and then it's like, oh, guess it's not soon, and then things have gotten worse, and then things have gotten better. and it, in some nations and places it gets worse, while in other places it gets better, and it, we all kind of trade spots. When Jesus says it's the beginning, excuse me, the beginning of birth pangs, I want you to think about a woman in labor, right? When, I, when, when my kids were born, I always jumped a little too early and thought, this is it. Here we go. My wife, she's getting the, the contractions and the birth pains, and she's pushing and screaming and, I won't even repeat the words that she was saying, and and I'm always like, this is it, he's coming, but it's not. And then the contractions subside, but when the contractions got more severe and more frequent, right? That's when you know, right? I mean, I remember the, our firstborn, the first sign of a contraction, we were like at the hospital, you know. By the thirdborn, I was pretty much ready to just catch this kid and save some money, but. I still wanted to stay in the hospital, though. It's like a hotel. But, you know, as as the contractions, as the birth pains become more severe and more frequent, that's when you know the baby's coming. So what I'm saying is, as these things become more severe and more frequent, that's a sign. Does that make sense? It's not the first time there's a war or the first time there's a natural disaster. It's as the frequency and the severity increase... It is like a woman in labor. All right, let me continue. They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Jesus is saying this to the disciples about how the world will treat Christians. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So it's going to get pretty bad, and you might even think, is anyone going to survive this? Well, he actually says, the one who endures to the end will be saved, which means you can endure this. Those of us that will live through this period of time, and I don't know when it's going to be, and I'm not going to predict when it's going to be, but the church that exists at this period of time will have the ability to endure this if they rely on Jesus and the Holy Spirit during this time. But we'll get into it, but many are going to choose instead not to. They're going to follow false Christs, false prophets, or just leave Jesus altogether. And then finally in Matthew, after all that, stuff that's gonna happen on earth, the wars and the rumors of wars and everything. Here's what's gonna happen. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the son of man coming on the clouds of the sky with great power and great glory. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one, uh, from one end of the sky to the other. So after the wars and the rumors of wars and the false Christ and the false prophets and the uh, persecution, then Jesus is going to return. And I wanna just really quickly summarize the signs that precede his coming. We're gonna back up to the beginning. First, there's gonna be international conflict. Um, it says there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars. I mean, don't we live with this today pretty much? Right, wars and rumors of wars. Nations are gonna fight against each other. Peoples are gonna fight against each other. It's going to result in violence, bloodshed, anxiety, and also the redrawing of borders and uh, boundaries. I mean, the, the globe is going to change as the result of war. And we're fighting wars for different reasons than we've always fought them. We're fighting wars in different ways than we've always fought them. Uh, we're getting to the point where it's not even nations always fighting the wars, but uh, people groups and ideological groups that are fighting some of the wars, right? I mean, we just started, well, we didn't just start. We started many years ago a war on terror, right? Well, it's not even against a nation. It's against a ideology, right? So there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars that's going to increase in the days before jesus returns there's also going to be uh, uh, false christs and false prophets so see to it that no one misleads you many will come in my name saying i am the christ so since we're anticipating jesus is going to return some people are going to take advantage of that knowingly or unknowingly and believe that they are the second coming of jesus not only are there going to be false christs there are going to be false prophets uh, Verse five: uh, Many will come in my name, claiming to be Christ. Many false prophets will arise, arise, and mislead many. It uses the same the same uh, word. Don't be misled. They will mislead you. Okay. Let me just tell you how to sniff out a false prophet or a false Christ. Okay. The false prophets are going to mislead people because they're going to be able to do supernatural things. They're going to be able to do miracles and signs and wonders. They're going to be able to multiply food or heal the sick or cast out demons or walk on water. And people are going to see that demonstration of power and they're going to think they must be real. But you know, the test that we're given in the New Testament for how to test a prophet is not, did they do a miracle? It's, do they deny Jesus? So the way that you test a false prophet or a true prophet is not in their supernatural ability. It's actually in their teaching. If they deny Jesus, I don't care if they've walked on water, healed the sick, multiplied food. I don't care what they've done. If they deny Jesus, they're a false prophet. That's all we need to know, right? But if they affirm that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that's a sign of a true prophet. So don't get wrapped up in demonstrations of power, uh, claims of miracles. Look at what they're saying with their mouth. Does that make sense? If they're denying that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that's a false prophet. That's how we're told to test prophets. And for those that claim to be Jesus, okay, in my hometown as a kid, we had a guy that thought, I don't know whether he genuinely thought this or just said it he claimed he was Jesus. Now, I think he probably had some uh, um, mental uh, limitations that were causing him to think that. As a kid, I like, I wasn't a Christian and I was a kid, so I was just like, this is a weird thing. This is a weird thing that someone would say they are Jesus. Now, Inevitably, though, people have been misled by this for thousands of years. People have thought this person is Jesus and this person is Jesus. And and so I want to give you uh, a tip. Jesus said, well, actually, angels said of Jesus in the beginning of Acts, when Jesus ascended into heaven, do you guys know how he ascended into heaven on a cloud, right? And the angel said he's coming back the same way. Right, and and we're gonna read later how when he comes back he's gonna be riding a white horse. He's gonna have a sword coming out of his mouth. He's gonna have eyes that burn like fire. So, here's a tip: if he's not riding a cloud, it's not Jesus. All right. Listen, if he's driving like a beat up hoop dee. That's not Jesus, right? But if he's riding on a cloud with a white horse, robe drenched in blood, sword coming out of his mouth, in the sky, that's Jesus. So it's not a hard test to pass if you just know what to expect when Jesus returns. Does that make sense? So if the person behind you on the bus who is mumbling under their breath, I'm Jesus. Listen, if they're riding the bus, they're not riding the cloud. That's not Jesus, okay? Is this clear? You got to want to be misled, I think. You you just want to be like ahead of everyone or something to be misled by this. All right. So there's going to be false Christs and false prophets. There's also going to be natural disasters. Verse 7. Uh, there's going to be famines and earthquakes. We'll just broaden that out and say there's going to be various natural disasters. These are going to increase. Yet, there's always been famines, earthquakes, volcanic uh, eruptions. There there has always been floods, tsunamis. But listen, as the frequency increases and the severity increases, this is one of the signs that's coming, uh, that that tells us that Jesus is coming. Persecution of Christians in verse 9. They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. So, this is a this is a theoretical idea to many American Christians because we haven't experienced a ton of persecution. I mean, the, most persecution that an American Christian might face is kind of like being made fun of. You might get teased, you might get mocked. We don't. We haven't really experienced persecution like many people in the rest of the world, where there's actual your life is on the line, you know. Uh, persecution is going to increase prior to Jesus' return. It used to be, even, even as recently as 20, 30 years ago, Christianity had so much favor here in the United States that people would claim to be Christians that weren't even really Christians. Right? I mean, we're, we're pretty much done with those days. I don't think, I mean, there's a few left, there's a few stragglers hanging on that, like, are what we would call nominally Christian, where they just figure, well, I'm in America, so I guess I'm a Christian. But that's pretty much over, um, because the more stigma and reproach that comes with identifying yourself with Jesus, the less people are just going to claim Jesus because they don't know what else to claim. You know what I mean? Like, when it actually costs you something to follow Jesus... You're going to have to really mean it when you say it. There's, it's not, there's not going to be a bunch of nominal, lukewarm, cultural Christians when it costs you a job, or money, or maybe your life. So it might actually look like the church will shrink. And that, that actually leads me to the next point. As a result of the persecution, there's going to be a great falling away. Uh, It says right here in verse 10, at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. And 2 Thessalonians 2 says essentially the same thing. There is going to be a great falling away. I believe it's as a result of the persecution. When it becomes hard to be a Christian, there are only going to be real Christians. There are not going to be people that are like, I guess I'm a Christian. You're not going to say that if it costs you your life. You either are or aren't. So the great falling away, how is that going to look? Well, it, it might look, first, like nominal Christianity and nominal Christians will just start leaving the church. People, they won't do church anymore because, well, it's Sunday and that's what you do. That's not going to fly when there's persecution. Uh, secondly, people will begin to what's called apostasize, which is, they followed Jesus and then just decided to turn their back and walk away from Jesus. These aren't uh, these aren't people that were lukewarm. These are people that just decided to turn their back and walk away. And we're actually seeing some of this in the United States right now. There have been several high-profile Christians that have just said, I don't believe this anymore, and they've left. And that's probably only going to increase as we get closer to Jesus' return. And the only advice I can say is don't put your faith in other people anyway. I mean, if, if some high-profile Christian or pastor decides to turn their back on Jesus, be grieved, mourn, but them turning their back on Jesus doesn't make Jesus any more or less real. You know what I mean? So, so we need to get away from this celebrity Christianity garbage that's been in, you know, like uh, infiltrating the church. There is only one celebrity... It's Jesus. Right? So he's the one that we follow, not some other pastor or whatever. Does that make sense? Okay, I, I know that makes sense. There's going to be a great falling away. Oh, this one grieves me so much. Verse 10 and 12. They will betray one another and hate one another. And then in verse 12, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. The world is just, there's going to be less love in the world. We're getting there, aren't we? And this is the irony of it. This is this is Satan's tactic that the world is less loving, even though we talk about love more than we ever have. Right? I mean, "Love wins" is the slogan. "Free love" was in the '70s and '60s, right? But yet, there's less love now than there's ever been. A redefinition of love to where love is kind of like tolerance and anything goes and you can't criticize anything Uh, so there's less love now than I think we've experienced and love is only gonna get colder and colder as we get closer to the return of Jesus Uh, and then finally this one is a little more positive and something that we can get behind in verse 14 it says this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. This is like one of the few that we have control over, that the gospel has to go forth to every people group on earth before Jesus is gonna return. When John looked over the crowd in Revelation that was present, worshiping Jesus at the end of time, he looked over them and said, "'I saw people from every tribe, every tongue, and every ethnic group.'" How could that be fulfilled if we haven't gotten the gospel to every group, right? This is. This is a little bit of a justice issue that we have not provided access to the gospel for every group of people on earth yet. This is something that we have to take more seriously and more significantly because Jesus is not returning till every group has a representative, till every group is heard. And there is a whole swath of the globe, Northern Africa, Southern Asia, parts of the Middle East, where there is not a missionary or a Bible or a church, and they have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ yet. And for generations, people have been perishing and going to a Christless eternity of eternal uh, conscious torment a.k.a. hell, because they don't know Jesus. And the book of Romans says, if you have not heard, you are still without excuse. Which means, this is a sobering thing. When they stand before God, they're not going to be able to say, no one told me. They're going to get judged, and you know what? So are we. Because if we don't go tell them, that's on us. And we have blood on our hands. So we have to take this Uh, sharing of the gospel thing seriously because they're without excuse. The only hope is in Romans chapter 1 where it talks about uh, you can discern that there is a creator by looking at creation. I don't know exactly what level of conclusion you can draw, but you can certainly conclude there is a creator. I look at this beauty and I think the creator is good. And I'm not him. You could, I think you can come to the, that conclusion just by looking at a sunrise or a sunset or mountains. Or, I mean, creation creates awe. And awe leads to worship. So I, I think that there is a spiritual awareness that even those that haven't heard of Jesus can come to. But without someone going to them, they cannot hear and cannot place their faith in Jesus, the Son of God. So we have to take this seriously. Um, We have some responsibility. Well, we have the ability to get the gospel out. So all of these things have to take place, and then Jesus will return. And we read that right here uh, about Jesus' return. So here's what's going to go on at the earth at the time. Tribulation, struggle, difficulty, persecution, wars, international conflict, uh, natural disasters. This is what's going to happen on earth. So here's the question for us. What's going on up there? When we're going through all of this, what's going on in heaven? Remember the, the dragon I told you about, like when Jesus was born in this beautiful moment, it's this violent moment in heaven? What's going on in heaven while we're going through difficulty on earth. This is Revelation 19. This is the story of Jesus' return told from the heavenly perspective. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he, meaning an angel, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb And the angel said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell at the angel's feet to worship him, but the angel said to me, don't do that. I'm a a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. Here we go. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems or crowns. He has a name written on him which no one can know except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God and the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron." Okay. remember this little baby that the dragon was trying to eat and he was gonna rule the nations with what a rod of iron so here we have now he's not a little baby he's coming to rule with a rod of iron he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords okay when Jesus returns It's not going to be a little baby in a manger this time. We're talking, I know that this is a little bit of my machismo coming out, we're talking horse, sword, blood-stained clothing, tattoo, king of kings, lord of lords, ruling with a rod of iron, judging. We are actually going to see justice in its purest form. Um, we are so confused about what justice is right now and I'm going to tell you why I believe it is we want justice without a judge we do not want judgment we want justice and you can't have both in order for you to have justice there has to be judgment and I don't mean judgment in the eternal damnation sense but someone at some point has to say this is wrong and this is right and we have such uh, uh watery uh, inconsistent culture that has no moral footing and no foundation we don't even we can't have justice cuz we don't have judgment does that make sense we don't want anyone to judge and that's okay fine we cannot have judgment but we won't have justice but if we want justice we have to have judgment someone's got to call the shots someone's got to say what's wrong and right when jesus returns he will do that and we're actually going to see justice perfectly We're going to see him execute justice as the most righteous and just judge that we have ever seen. And I am both looking forward to it, but also kind of like, (laughs) I hope I do not catch a case before then. I like, uh, well, I just want to show you, this is the point I've been trying to make here. Okay, while we're experiencing tribulation on earth, what's going on in heaven? It doesn't sound like tribulation. It sounds like they're getting ready for a wedding, right? They're, like they're rejoicing and being glad uh, because there's a wedding coming, the marriage of the Lamb who has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Who's the bride of Jesus? The church, us, right? We're the bride of Jesus. We're finally, at this point, we're getting ready for the wedding. We're getting our hair done. You know, get, I know it's, it's hard sometimes for guys to wrap their head around this, so just, you gotta just roll with it a little bit. We're getting ready for a wedding, okay? It says, the, uh, the bride, the church, has made herself ready. It was given to the church to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So while it's going crazy down here with political conflicts and natural disasters and persecution, It's nuts. What are we doing? We are clothing ourselves with righteous acts. The the tribulation and the persecution is not just happening at the same time as the purification. It's the same thing. The tribulation that the church is going through is actually what's being done to make the church pure for the return of Jesus. Jesus. Does that make sense? Sometimes we adopt these theologies like we're going to miss out on all the trouble. That's never been the case. God's people have never missed out on all the trouble. Right? I mean, come on. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. We're going to go through the trouble, but the trouble is going to purify the church. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get it down to where like the divisions and the denominationalism and the racism and all the stuff that exists, it's not going to be able to exist anymore. I mean, I'm sorry, if you're in a context where your life is on the line for following Jesus, and there's another believer of a different race whose life is also on the line because they're following Jesus, you're not going to care about their race anymore. You're going to need a friend, and you're going to want to be a friend. Does that make sense? Like political stuff, racial stuff... Preference stuff—it's all going to get thrown out. We're going to need each other. The church is going to get purified through this fire of tribu- tribulation. We're going to experience it, and I—I mean, I'm telling you, this purification process—some people are not going to want to go through, and they're going to leave. I don't know if that's going to happen, like in the next two years, or 200 years, or 2,000 years. I don't know when this is going to happen, but only the real followers of Jesus are going to make it through this purification process. And even the real ones are going to be changed. They're going to be matured. They're going to be wearing these, uh, this bright, clean linen. Um, so we're, the marriage is the return of Jesus. And when Jesus returns, it's going to be intense, and it's going to be dramatic, and it's going to be literal. I want to show you really quickly. This is our church's official belief on the return of Jesus. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent and will be personal, visible, and premillennial. This is the believer's blessed hope and is a vital truth, which is an incentive to holy living and faithful service. Let me just define a few terms really quick. When we say the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent, we mean it could happen at any time. I mean, it could happen today, it could happen in a thousand years. Um, There is a little caveat, okay, we're like, we're wondering, Okay, Jesus, you said you would return after the Gospels and preached to all nations. The Gospel has not been preached to all nations, yet you could return at any time. How do we reconcile those? Okay, you kind of have to hold that intention, but what you can do is say, listen, I don't know what missionary has reached these unreached tribes yet. Maybe they're already there. I don't know that. Maybe Jesus is showing up and just walking around and, and like people are having dreams. This happens frequently in the Muslim world. People have dreams of Jesus. I know three people that have come to christ because they had dreams where a man in white showed up to them and this is the thing that's sweeping the muslim world jesus is just showing up in people's dreams and they're turning to jesus and and all three of the folks that i know had to leave their families because their father said he would have them killed if he found them and so they all had to go through like a uh legal process to be protected um so I don't know, you know, I don't know how close we are. I don't know what missionaries we have on the ground. I don't know what who we have translating Bibles. So maybe Jesus could come soon. Lauren Cunningham, who's the director of Youth with a Mission, said that the trajectory we we're moving at, it's possible to have missionaries in all these unreached places within 10 years, possibly. I mean, that, but you know what? That's kind of up to us. You know, will we or won't we? The ball's in our court. We have this invitation to hasten. The return, of, the return of Jesus. Um, okay, that's what we mean by imminent. Personal, visible, and premillennial. Vis- personal and visible just means this is literally going to happen. This is not a metaphor. This is not a poem. This is not a picture. Like, Jesus is going to crack the sky, roll it back, and come. In the same way that he went up, in the same way that he was born, crucified, resurrected, and ascended, literally, he's literally coming back. This is, this is not just some feel-good thing to keep us motivated and keep us in our best behavior, this is really going to happen. And some of us, possibly, maybe, could be alive to see it. Chico. (laughs) He's just being patient with you, man. So, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, So we mean it to be literal. Premillennial, that's a big word. If you want to use that at a party sometime, everyone will look at you funny. Here's what we mean by premillennial. Okay, in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about a 1,000-year reign of Jesus on the earth, that Jesus is going to rule on earth for a 1,000 years. And you know who gets to rule with him? Us. We get to rule with Jesus for a 1,000 years. That During that 1,000 years, Satan is going to be locked up. At the end of the 1,000 years, Jesus is going to let Satan out and finish him once and for all. So... The question about premillennialism is, is Jesus going to return before that thousand years or after that thousand years, or is that thousand years not real? It's just us right now in church. So I'm telling you, I believe, we believe Jesus is going to come before that thousand years. I mean, I don't understand how we could reign on earth for a thousand years without coming to earth first. And even the the timeline of Revelation 19, then Revelation 20 is that Jesus is going to return and he's going to rule on earth for a thousand years and we are all going to have jobs ruling with him. And I hope I get a good one. I do not want to be in charge of the trash in heaven. You know, I mean, I know it'll be like gold and diamonds and stuff like that, but like, I want to have a good job in heaven. I want to rule. So... You, know, you assure that by being a good steward now. Being good at what Jesus has given you to take care of now. Uh, okay, so I just wanted to share that now. How, did, how do we prepare for this, or what's our response to this? I really quickly want to read just two parables. I'm, I'm wrapping up. This is how Jesus told us to respond to this. There's a parable at the end of Matthew 24 that's very short where he told uh, his disciples how to prepare. It's Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. This is right following up on everything that was up on the screen. Jesus says, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night a thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So Jesus is saying, be prepared, be ready. And he uses the illustration. If you knew what time of night a thief was coming to your house, how would you prepare? If you knew they were coming at 1 a.m., you'd be up, you'd have your doors locked. You have 911 on speed dial, and maybe you might even have some other stuff going on, Home Alone style, I don't know, paint can hanging from the thing, I don't know what you would do. But the point is, you would be prepared, right? Some of you would be like, no, I'm leaving the doors unlocked, and I'm not calling 911 because I want to deal with this guy. Sorry. Israel's back there, he's ready to, he's got some anger to take out on someone, right? First, his first point is be prepared. But then in Matthew 25, he tells a second parable of ten virgins. I'm going to read this very quickly. The kingdom of heaven is compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no extra oil with them. They thought this was going to be a short period of time. But the wise took extra oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your extra oil, for our lamps have gone out. But the prudent, or the wise, answered, us and for you, go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves." While they were going away to make a purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. So his point for the first parable was be prepared, but this one, the point is be patient. This might take longer than you think. So the first one is, this might be sooner than you think. And now he's saying, but this also might take longer than you think. So be patient and also be prepared. To be prepared is to not put off the decision to follow Jesus. I have friends and family that keep telling me, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to, follow. I'm going to trust him someday, but I just kind of want to enjoy life. and I'm like, oh, you think you can't enjoy life with Jesus? And you are playing with fire I mean, not only could he return at any moment you could die at any moment you're not prepared They're they're being patient but they're not being prepared to be patient means go ahead and make long-term plans be a good steward in the meantime you like but but have your long-term plans be centered on the mission of Jesus Uh, I the college I went to The guy that founded the college, God bless him, he was so convinced that Jesus was coming back soon that when they built the dorms, he was like, skimp. (laughs) Don't use the best materials. We need to save money. These buildings aren't going to be around for a long time anyway. Right? And Jerobo, you lived in one of them. Right? So did I. And it was evident that they were expecting Jesus to return before they thought they were going to have to put another coat of paint on. Um... (laughs) That's not, I mean, it's an inspiring thing, but also like probably not the way to, not what you want your facilities guy to believe. You know what I mean? Make your long-term plans, but focus them on the mission of Jesus. Uh, Don't put everything off. Um, Yeah, so be prepared, but also be patient. Here's the last thing that we can do. Matthew 24, 14 says, when the gospel's been preached to all nations, Jesus is going to come. We still have a a role to play in getting the gospel out to all nations. You guys know that our church has sent people out to other countries to share the gospel. We have members of our church serving in the Middle East, sharing the gospel through community development and other means. We have Frank and Janae Santiago in Germany, planting churches among uh, immigrant and refugee populations. We have uh, Chris and Bridgie Cook in France, establishing a church in Bordeaux, France. Now listen, A couple years ago, most of you know this, a couple years ago our church tried to plant a church just one neighborhood over in Taconi. And unfortunately that did not go the way we intended for it to go, and now we're all back under one roof. And we said, we're going to try again. We are not going to give up on this church planting idea. We're going to keep going at this. We're going to try again but I want you to know that it does not always have to happen in Philadelphia, and right now there are two people, two of our best leaders from our church, that have moved to France to plant a church, and our church is planting a church in France, basically. I mean, we sent them people, we send them money, we pray, we support, I mean, we're, listen, we're fancy. (laughs) We, We don't plant in Holmesburg, we plant in Bordeaux, France. You know, we Shake the oh! This is a Wawa, 1997. Uh, well, I can't mention their name. Neither should you. Um, so uh, we can we can fix that. So I want to remind us to support those that we've sent, and right, we're going to show this video of Chris and Bridgie. Uh, they're in a they're in a country and in a nation where it's okay for them to do this work. They're allowed to, but we have other people that are in places where they're not allowed. So um, we're going to show this video just as a reminder of why we send these folks out. And go ahead and roll that for me, Dan.
1: Hey, Truvine! We wanted to send you an update video to let you know that we have officially made it to Bordeaux. This is the city that we've been looking forward to moving to for many years. Uh, When we first moved to Philly into the Parsonage on Marston Street, we, that was six years ago, this week. We moved there six years ago and joined your community. And even just thinking about it now um, is emotional because I can't believe we're here because we still miss you a lot, even though it's been um, four years since we left. And yet knowing how faithful the Lord has been to bring us to this place, um, which is where we thought we would be going when we first moved to Philly to join True Vine. So we're here. We have finished our first year of language training. We've almost been in France for one year now. And yeah, here we are.
2: And it's really kind of a great story in finding this apartment. Um, We are in a very competitive real estate market here. And there were over 100 phone calls and 150 emails to actually get this apartment uh, sent by different people. And so when we finally got a call back after two months of searching, we were really amazed at the Lord's provision. Actually. We were chosen specifically because we're in the ministry, and so the the, pro, the person who owns the apartment was excited to rent to us knowing that we are you know, working with Christian Missionary Alliance to plant churches in France. Um, and we're especially grateful to True Vine because you all, through the foresight and planning of uh, your leadership, have been funding our outfit fund. Uh, and when we got here, our apartment was completely empty. Uh, an apartment in France pretty much comes with a kitchen sink, and that's it. And so all of your large appliances, all your furniture, all that stuff we had to buy when we got here. Um, And I'm going to have to have Jim send us a bunch of Truvine stickers to stick on almost everything because without your guys' love and support, we would be living in an empty house still. So we very much thank you for supporting the Great Commission and for supporting us specifically um, with your missions
1: giving. Yeah. Without you, without specifically giving to our outfit fund, we would have next to nothing here. So we're really grateful for you guys and for helping us to build up that fund over this past year. Um, we have about two more weeks until our girls go back to school. Please be praying for the relationships that are established there for them and the friendships with their peers but also between us and the director and the teacher and the other parents. We're really excited to start getting to know people here so please be praying for those relationships at their school.
2: We've also been going to our line Church here for the last two weeks. Uh, we're gonna be using them as a springboard to get into Center Bordeaux Um, They are about a 20-minute drive from the city proper, as it were, and so we're going to be building relationships with them, figuring out what French church looks like, and trying to see uh, who might be interested in coming to do a church plant um, just a couple miles down the road, but really in a completely different demographic, as you all well know. Um,
1: Yeah. So we finished one year of language school, and we have one more where we will continue language learning, but it'll be a little bit more flexible. We won't be in class all day, every day, but we will learn language and culture through more flexible relational means. So please, again, be praying for those relationships, specifically here in our neighborhood and for language partners or tutors or any of those things that we might be able to find here in Bordeaux because it's no longer just language learning and cultural learning, but it's also about the relationships because now we're in the place that we plan on being for a very long time. So please be praying into that and yeah we're really grateful for you we love you all we miss you we hope that you can come to france soon to visit us and see what's going on here in the years to come love you guys yeah we love you Au revoir. Au revoir.
0: revelation 22 tells us what our attitude should be toward the return of jesus revelation twenty-two seventeen 17 says that the spirit and the bride say come And let the one who hears say, come. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit and the Bride is us. And if we want to be praying in agreement with the Holy Spirit, we will say, come, Lord Jesus. That attitude is an attitude of anticipation and expectation, not one that is fearful and wants to put things off. As we look forward to the coming of Jesus, it is a point of hope for us. So, Lord, we ask for you to come and to come soon and to sustain us in the meantime, Lord. We want to see you come and bring justice, reconcile people to yourself, bind Satan, and restore the earth, Lord. We want to see your kingdom unhindered. We pray this with anticipation in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to stick around and hang out, grab something to eat. The Eagles do not play till 8.20, I know that. You got plenty of time.